This is Journey Church Podcast. Here at Journey, we believe in encountering God and embracing people. From wherever you're listening, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. Well, good morning, everyone. It's so good to be in God's house. You know, the thing that we get to do is we get to participate together. That's what's amazing about the body of Christ. Like, the truth is, the truth is, all of us could, by ourselves, could do good things by ourselves. And that would be fun and fine. But what's amazing is that God invented the church so that we could do good things together. And somehow, somehow our efforts get multiplied. <laughs> like, like you might just have $3 and that's fine. Jesus said, hey, l- listen, by the way, it, just as an aside, it's not the size of your gift that matters. And Jesus praised the widow's might. She only had a little bit to give. But there's something that happens that's miraculous when we bring our best to God and we do that together. Like there's a multiplication that happens. And so this is why we can keep, uh, this is why we can keep saying we're believing God for bigger things um, this year because you're here and because we're all here together. This is sort of what the pandemic taught us a little bit, I think, is that we're better, we're we're more powerful when we're together. And um, yeah, so it's good days. We're living in good days. These are hard days for sure, but they are definitely good to be together. So next week, uh, we're beginning a series on Leviticus, everybody. Please pray for me, (laughs) because it's either going to be the best idea or the worst idea. We're not sure, (laughs) but Jesus is in it. Listen, God is in every part of his word. And um, I, I just believe he's going to speak to us in a really powerful way. By the way, at the beginning of January, we started reading the Bible together. And I just, I, I sort of just for a minute, this is not really my job, but I said to Dave, I feel like I got to be a pep talk, talker. Some of you, it's like the end of January now, and we're like coming to the middle of Exodus. And we're going to talk about the tabernacle. And like it sort of gets a little bit long, this part. I want to be your cheerleader that says you can do it if you have fallen off the bandwagon already. Like, you know that little app? It's such a good thing when you're on track, but it's so stressful when you're off track. Does anybody, anybody hear me? Because as soon as you open it up, it says you've missed 17 days. And there's only been 19, so it's very stressful. And, and you want to just not, so what happens to me, maybe this happens to you, you just want to not open it up then. Because kind of if you don't look at it, then what you'll say is, I've just gone to my paper Bible now. The Lord has directed me to paper. <laughs> but it's not only because you don't want to stress yourself out about the fact that you have not. Can I just say, let's just say right here, right now, we're going into February this week. Fresh start, everybody. Fresh start, okay? Fresh start. We're going to get through Exodus, and then we're going to talk about Leviticus. All m- You're going to read Leviticus differently than you've ever read it before. You're going to get to Leviticus in February, and you're going to say, yes! This is the best part of my reading plan of all time, forever. I love Leviticus. It's amazing. Some of you are going to write a book on Leviticus here, and you're going to doodle in your book about Leviticus. You're going to have a lot to say. I'm just speaking faith to your spirit right now. It might not have been so good in January, but... Thank God we're in a new month this week. Yes. His mercies are new every morning. I'm going to have to be your I'm going to, I'm cheering myself on, by the way, too. So every month for this year, I'm going to cheer us all on. We're, we're going to get through the word of God together because we want to be transformed. We want to be changed. And this is the only way. We don't change because we get up in the morning and say, you know what? It's going to be different. 
you know how I know that? Because I've done it so many times. Today's going to be really different. I'm, I, I'm going to keep the room clean, Dave. I'm not going to have all my clothes strewn throughout. And then it's Tuesday. And it's been busy. So we got outfits on the floor. And I thought I would grow out of this. But I am nigh half a century now. And it's still the same. So I know that saying it's not going to be, is going to be different doesn't always work. But asking the Lord to change us is actually what changes us and transforms us. And so maybe you didn't have the best week this week. Maybe you've fallen off the bandwagon. Hey, I just want to encourage you. The book of Proverbs says, though a righteous man fall, he gets back up again. Just get back up again. Get back up again. Look at that, look at that app in the face and say, I might have missed 17 days. But in Jesus' name, I'm going to read today. It's going to stay at 17 days. Okay. Well, we're going to finish our series uh, uh, called Connected this week. And uh, over the last two weeks, we really laid the foundational, the, um, the theological foundation for what it means to be connected. In the first week, we talked about how in Genesis chapter 1, we see that Adam was the first lonely person. We talked about how being loneliness is not a sign of, a defect, of your defect, it is a sign of your design. And it reminds us that we are to be connected to Jesus, we are be, to be connected to God. And then last week we talked about if we're going to live connected lives, we must first look to the Lord to be our point of connection. The Lord has things for you that no person can ever fulfill. There are desires in your heart that you are looking for people to fill, but we know from his word that he always encounters people before he sends people. Today, this will probably be the most pragmatic of all the talks, and I know some of you are so worried about how-to sermons that make you nervous because you think Jesus never preached a how-to sermon. Um, but, but actually, what I do know is that um, Jesus continually used, uh, and the, the scriptures uses, use different types of literature to push us in different directions. And we know a couple of weeks ago, we just shared the vision with you. Listen, we, we want to be a church that helps people get things on the ground and live practically. Um, so over the pandemic, I, I lost count of the number of Christians that told me they either stopped attending church or they left to join a, a church to join another church because they couldn't make any friends there. <sighs> We're going to have some real talk today, everybody. <laughs> um, a lot of people will say that churches are friendly enough. They were hospitable and welcoming, and the greeters do a good job. But one person said, they're nice to you, but nobody becomes your friend. Ouch. Um, and, and really what hurts, I think, for all of us is when friendliness leads to friendlessness. Have you ever been somewhere where you, like, people are really friendly and they say, oh, it's so good to have you here. Oh, maybe not here. Okay, let's just pretend it's somewhere else. So isn't the weather lovely? And then they walk away and you never know anything. Isn't that the weirdest feeling ever? People are friendly, but it leads to friendlessness. And I think over the last couple of years, people just said no to that. No. No, you know where you could get friendliness? At the movie theater? The people that take your ticket, they're generally friendly because they want to keep their jobs. At the grocery store, sometimes, if you go to one of those slow lanes where somebody's really chatty and everybody behind you is fuming. In the 1950s, sociologist David Reisman coined the term the lonely crowd. 
in part to describe collectives of people who live according to common traditions and conforming values, but who barely know or like each other. And if I'm honest, over the last you know, year, I, I began to get really nervous that our churches were actually becoming lonely crowds. Part of my life has always been speaking at other churches. Um, I'll speak to pastors, and the one thing that pastors would tell me is that they were finding that people in their churches, and this is probably not just people in churches, but like the pandemic had made us difficult for us to build friendships with one another. And all kinds of lauded theologians started getting really practical saying, hey pastors, what you probably really need to do is teach people how to be friends again. And this week, some of you sent me this study when it came out because it was just great timing. Um, a Harvard study came out, the largest study of its kind. Since 1938, the Harvard Study of Adult Development has been investigating this question, what makes people flourish? Did anybody read this study this week? It was a very long article. Okay, great. No, none of you read it, so I can tell you all about it. It's my favorite thing to do. Um, and so, so they started with 724 participants. And they followed people from 1938 all the way to present day time. And um, it was the largest in-depth longitudinal study on human life ever done. And it's brought one profound and simple conclusion. They did not expect that this would be the simple. And they thought it was going to be veggies or like I've read every. Good relationships lead to health and happiness. It was the end. That was, that was the, the, foregone, the, the conclusion, the one conclusion they could take from this study. Good relationships lead to flourishing. Being connected with social and intimate relationships is the most important factor in our happiness. Wow. This is true for both introverts and extroverts. I just thought I added that. <laughs> it's not in the notes, but it is true. Because some of you are like, well, I'm kind of an introvert. I don't need anybody. No, you need people too. Our flourishing as humans is directly connected to our ability to connect with God and connect with each other. Now, I want you to know that nothing is new under the sun. This is an interesting study, but it's not new. The Bible has been pointing this out to us for thousands of years. Studies like this simply corroborate what the Bible was already saying. This is, by the way, how we know the Bible is practical and trustworthy. Because it says things that we know to be true, that the Bible tells us are true. So today, this morning, I want to look at the life of Jesus. Because as Christians, we believe that Jesus himself embodies what it means to live healthy life, to live a healthy life. He is our example. As Christians, while we know that Jesus came to die for our sins, and we do believe that, that is a... Um, if we only take that part of Jesus, what we've done is we've taken the gospel which is the good news, and we've made it small. Jesus' life actually came to show us how we should live our lives. Sometimes we've forgotten this. We have simplified and simplified and simplified to the point of like, we only take a slice. The only parts of Jesus' life that are really important are the, are, is the passion. Now, now, granted, the passion is important. We're going to talk about it this year. It's going to be awesome, but... but we actually must take the full embodiment of Jesus. This is why we have to comb through the scriptures and learn the ways of Jesus. Our goal in life is to become more and more like him. 
And this doesn't just apply to morality. So um, we sometimes say things like this, like, I'll be more like Jesus because I'm not going to cheat on my taxes this year. Of course, don't cheat on your taxes. Or I will be more like Jesus and I will swear 20% less this year. For some of you, that's a tall order. For others of you, you're scandalized that people in our church swear sometimes. Sorry, I let the cat out of the bag. Uh, The knowing of Jesus, though, from a theological perspective, is not just knowing moral principles. Jesus is far more than that. He is a teacher that teaches us how to live the totality of our lives. So, this is not about cherry-picking principles. Uh, But we do see in the life of Jesus that he lived a very full-orbed life that actually tells us that if you want to live a flourishing life, the thing that matters most is relationships. Okay, so I want to make a few observations from the gospel. The first one is this, that Jesus, who was perfect, who was perfect in every way, had perfect communion with the Father, still had friends. Uh, you ever thought about that? How oh, that's weird. Like sometimes people, I remember when I was a young adult and we had seen a move of God amongst our young, uh, amongst our young adults and God was doing amazing things and a couple of my friends like really got rocked by the Lord and they started to say things like this, I don't need anybody. I just need Jesus. I don't need to get married. I do not, and this wasn't about marriage, but I do not need friends. I'm just gonna pray. I will work so that I can live, and I will pray all day. Okay, so I'm going to tell you that although their zeal was good, they became weird. (laughs) Like, that lasted for, like, a few months, and then they were, like, lonely. Because Jesus never made you to just have him. He put other people... Listen, if Jesus himself, who was perfect, perfect, had all the power that he needed... Still needed friends? So do you. So do you. And the question becomes, how do we go about finding friends like that? Like, it's nice to talk about that we need friends. It's another thing. If you've ever been in a friendless season, it's like hard to know how to go about doing that, isn't it? And I think the life of Jesus shows us this so beautifully. All my life, I heard the adage that sort of went like this, leadership, the path of leadership is lonely. Has anybody ever heard this? Like, and if you're lonely, it's probably because you're a leader. It's probably because you have so much power. It just tells you that you're God's favorite. And um, it's kind of made Christians weird because like we sort of live with this idea, it's okay if nobody at work likes me they're mad at me because I'm always yelling at them. It's okay if I don't have any friends in the church because I'm always trying to tell people how to. It's just because I'm a leader. Bless God. This isn't really true from the life of Jesus, though. We don't see this. I mean, Jesus had a crew of people with him that followed him that he was with. Leadership, actually, as we grow in the things of God, what we should be doing is bringing people with us. Okay, so how, how do we go about doing this? This is a little bit of a, listen, if you're, if you're full of friends and you've never had a lonely moment, you can just intercede while I teach about this right now. But if you've ever had a, a season 
where you felt like a little bit lost. Maybe this will be helpful to you. First thing we see in the Gospels is this, is that Jesus was proactive in finding people. I was struck by this this week. I don't know why. I just, I was, uh, I think it was a combination of I had been reading Genesis and the um, ark, Noah. You know when Noah um, was building the ark and what happened with the animals? He didn't have to like go out and be like, now I'm a zookeeper or a dog catcher or whatever. He, the animals came to him, the Bible says. Okay, so God is clearly capable of making things and come. But Jesus gets to earth. What do we see with Jesus? He didn't, like he could have had the disciples just, hey, like God woke me up in the middle of the night. I had a theophany of you, Jesus. I saw you. Now I'm going to be your disciple, okay? That, that would have been actually in keeping with sometimes the way God works. But instead, we see Jesus going out and saying, hey, you, Andrew, you're going to come and follow me. Hey, you, Peter. You're over and over again. As Jesus was, let's look at Mark, Matthew chapter 4, 18. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother, Andrew. And they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. So there is this idea in Scripture that Jesus, when he was calling the 12 disciples to be with him, that he actually was proactive in that. And the New Testament is a bit clear. It, it continues to be clear about this. When we need people, the book of James says, hey, listen, are any of you sick? Call the elders of the church, and they'll anoint you with oil, and they'll pray, and you'll be healed. There is this idea that we have to walk a little in faith to find people. Now, I know we've all had seasons in our life where like, you know when you're a bit sad? And what, what can happen is you can say things like this. I went to that church for like six months and not one person invited me over for dinner. <sighs> I'm going to try somewhere else. So we go somewhere else, and it's the same thing. And then we talk to people about our lives, and we say, I have a lot of church hurt because nobody's ever, nobody's ever seen me before. But what if... What if we were to be proactive with people? Now, now listen to me. If you've been hurt, I am not denigrating your hurt. Of course there's hurt in churches because we're people. But I am saying, Scripture's really clear. We just have to continue to put ourselves out there a little bit. I, I often wonder, was Jesus nervous when he called the people? like like they're the disciples they're like getting some fish and he's saying you come and follow me what if they had said no that would have been weird and awkward (laughs) all right there's faith involved your so like somebody said to me oh like friendship and faith I've never thought about that your life as a Christian can't just be bifurcated it can't just be and here's my spiritual life where I have faith to believe God for things like a, us raising 148,000. And here's my life as a Christian with other people. Nothing. You need faith in every area of your life. So maybe you're lonely. Maybe you've come in lonely today. I want to encourage you. I want to stir up your faith to believe that God could help you to be proactive, to look for somebody, just like Jesus did. Uh, secondly, Jesus developed this inner circle 
I find this fascinating that Jesus had, I don't know if they were, they weren't favorites because we know that Jesus is no respecter of people, but he drew some people closer to him. Intimacy doesn't happen without intentionality. Um, Some of us are a mile wide with people and an inch thick. And what happens, like that's okay when things are going great, Um, when you're just eating shrimp cocktail at people's houses or Christmas parties, that's fine. But where it's so hard is when you're in a hard spot. And Jesus knew this. We're going to see in a minute that in his hardest times, he drew his most intimate friends in close to him. This is a pattern that Jesus set up for us. Jesus had two or three people that he really trusted. The hard part with intimacy, though, is talking about how do, how do you get there with people? Like, how do you... Because it would be very strange to come up to somebody and say, hey, listen, I don't have any close and intimate friendships. I'm wondering if you'll be that to me. <laughs> I'd like you to envision that right now. Just look at... I'd like you to lock eyes with somebody right now in the church. I'm coming for you after the service. <laughs> Just make it very weird. <laughs> I was thinking about all week, how do I, I just thought about my own life. You know, as a pastor, and some of you, you're not pastors, but you, it's easy for me to say, oh, I'm not lonely. Like, I know a lot. I know all of you. It's so exciting. I have, yeah, but like, if I'm in a really bad spot, which sometimes we all, not some, we all get to really bad spots. How do we build that with people? How do we actually, this is part of our spirit, listen, we have an underdeveloped theology of friendship. We, we really do. This is why churches can become lonely crowds. Part of it is what we talked about in week one, that what was lost in sin, the very first thing that was lost was vulnerability. And the way that we develop intimacy with people is by being vulnerable. And that's hard. But we know that um, how we know Jesus did that is because John always referred to himself, I'm the one that Jesus loved. How did, how did he know that Jesus loved him? Because he told him things about himself. Okay, so we develop an inner circle. And we know that Jesus, he did things with these people. He, in Mark chapter 5, verse 37, he, uh, he took only a few people to heal um, the Jairus' daughter at the transfiguration. In Mark chapter 9, verse 2, he took just a few group of people. They were in an audience at the Olivet Discourse in Mark chapter 13, verse 3, and then in Gethsemane, which we'll talk about in a minute. Okay, so Jesus was proactive. He developed an intimate, uh, an intimate circle of people, but then he had uh, rhythms of aloneness. This is, this is a really big difference between being lonely and being alone. Truth is, we can all overexpose ourselves. Have you ever overexposed yourself before? <laughs> like, you, you're so excited to have somebody to talk to that you just, you're like verbal diarrhea. I'm sorry, that is a terrible word picture. <laughs> but in my defense, I'm not good at word, at saying, so. <laughs> okay. We can overexpose ourselves, and in a culture that's super connected all the time, 
We have been told by our culture that you can never be alone, but actually the scripture says that Jesus often went to the lonely places. He actually put himself in the lonely places. And when we do that, we actually strengthen our relationships. We strengthen uh, the bonds we have with other people because we're declaring that it is only God that can bring us healing and wholeness. If you don't have a rhythm, listen, if you don't have a rhythm of aloneness, you will overinflate what people can be to you. And it will put undue pressure on relationships that is, not, that, that is not healthy. It will create idolatry of community. So what I want us to get clear here is theologically, while we do believe in a theology of relationship and a theology of friendship, we can, in, as is the case in everything, swing to one side of the ditch or the other. The one side of the ditch says, I don't need anybody. I'm fine by myself. I pull myself up by my bootstraps and I can get going. The other side of the ditch says, I need somebody for everything. I can't, I can't do anything. And Jesus continually had these rhythms of aloneness where he went to the lonely places and he called on his father. It's echoing what we talked about last week, how in 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah could not see Elisha until the presence of God came to him. And we got to do that on a continued, listen, most of us need that every day. Some point every day where we're going, people are wonderful and I'm so grateful for the gift of people, but people cannot fix me, cannot speak to me like God himself can. It is declaring our dependency on the one who made us. And we, uh, we see that Jesus embraced radical hospitality. In fact, you see him engaging. I, I want to just say this. You can't, have, um, you can't have friends without a commitment to fun. Let me just be the fun patrol here. Sometimes Christians get so serious that they're just like no fun at all. I just, I mean, I'm not looking at any of you specifically right now, but some of us need to have, I, Jesus was called the friend of sinners, which means that sinners said that he was their friend, which is a lot different than me saying I'm your friend. If you don't say you're my friend, we're not really friends, right? <laughs> Uh, people said about Jesus that he was uh, their friend. He ate, and the reason people were mad about it is because he was eating and drinking and carrying on, having fun. Like, Jesus did not go over to, I, I know this to be true because it would have been in the text if it was. He did not go over and say, hello, welcome. Hey, they, were, they were mad, the Pharisees, because he was kind of like, now Jesus wasn't sinning, but it's like he was comfortable in his own skin. Spiritual things can also be fun things. Yes. We get this, sometimes, now, we're usually okay with it in churches if it's for the young people. Because the young people can have fun. They can put marshmallows in their mouth. They can eat bags of chips. I don't know what, they can eat a lot of pizza. I wish I could see one of our youth pastors here so they could tell me. And then somehow we cross some. It's not magical. It's a magical line of 25 where we are supposed to be serious at all times. Very. But, but I, I think it's actually a misinterpretation of text. I think sometimes we read the text with a scowl on our face. 
like Jesus was talking in a scowling kind of way. But what would happen if you read the text, the smile on your face? You thought that Jesus, like, I, I think we'd have a lot more people saying, I'll sign up for that. This radical hospitality, now there's, we could unpack this for hours, the idea of radical hospitality that goes all the way from Genesis to Revelation is actually the way that God shows us his kindness. And it is the way we build beautiful friendships with each other. You know, the best way for you to have a friendship with somebody is to have like an inside joke. Do you know, do you know that, that, you know when you get an inside joke with somebody and all of a sudden you've gone from being um, uh, like acquaintances to friends now. Now some of you, because I've walked with you now for seven, se- we've been here for seven years by the way, this weekend would be our seventh year here, yeah, in Calgary. And some of you, after seven years, I have like, there's funny things that we've done together and funny things that have happened. And sometimes when I'm up here, I can get one of, well, I can't really see you, that's true, but I can see your outline. Or if I'm wearing glasses, I get to see you. But like, I can have like this funny moment of like, oh, that was weird. And I would really like to say it out loud because you're my friends. This is how we gain French. I, I felt like a real, like some, some of us just take ourselves so seriously. Just. We just need to relax a little bit. This is the Jesus we serve. He was not uptight. The King James Version doesn't show that too much. We serve a God who, if you read the book of John, by the way, that uh, theologians will tell you that John is filled with all this humor. And maybe someday in the fall we'll do a study on John and we're gonna talk through all the humor because there's all these funny things that Jesus says that sometimes we miss. Uh, by the way, let me just say this, uh, especially um, in Jesus' teaching, the renewed and fulfilled creation that is the kingdom of God takes the specific form of a feast, and uh, Jesus used the image of a feast more than any other to describe the reality of his kingdom. Peter Leithart said this, but, but it's true. Now, if you're a very, do you notice that Jesus never described his kingdom as um, a synagogue. <laughs> he described his kingdom as a feast. And when you go to a feast, like think about the last time you went to a feast. Maybe it was Christmas. Like a real, like think of, I want you just for a minute to think of the best feast you've ever had. Where it was like, n- there was no like family tension at it and it was, you were just eating, Okay. Because I know some of you were already going there. The last two years have been hard and difficult. Okay, think back to your best feast. When you're feasting, you're not like, you're, you're relaxed. You're wearing stretchy pants or a robe. And this is the God we serve. A God of all kinds of joy. I, I, I'm praying that some of us get a revelation on this. That we think to ourselves that part of our spiritual work, your spiritual work, is to find people to feast with. Yeah. Like, part of your, you're going to read the Bible this week, and you're going to read the end of Exodus, and we're going to get to Leviticus, and yes to that. Yes to that. But yes to finding people to, to eat fried chicken with. Yes to finding people to, like having a list of fun things to do with. Yes, to the, it, it, it is our spiritual work. Because finding people and seeing them 
and loving them and having joy with them is part of how God designed you. What, what becomes difficult is when we don't see that as spiritual and we bifurcate that. And Jesus spent time with his disciples. I did the math on this this morning. It was like a little bit. If you do the math, that most historians think that Jesus spent close to four years. I know it's between 30 and 33, but close to four years with his disciples. That'd be about 17,000 hours if you also consider sleeping eight hours a night, and because Jesus was perfect, so we figure he did eight hours at least. <laughs> Some of us who are sleep deficit, you know. 17,000 hours. I know you're busy. I, I know you're busy. I know you can't join a small group this week, year because you got too many things on your plate. It's just a little, sorry, that was. <laughs> we, we need to spend time with, listen, one hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday morning is not enough for us to develop friendships with people that are going to push us to be different. We're going to have to make ourselves a bit uncomfortable. God, who is God, who is perfect, spent 17,000 hours with people. I'm not saying you have to spend 17,000 hours with people. But I am saying probably more than one hour and 15 minutes would be sufficient. <laughs> Let's find each other. Let's spend time with each other. In his book on friendship, titled Friendship. Uh, David Hrushka Rush, reviewed studies on the causes of conflict in friendship and found that the most common arguments boil down to time commitments. Spending time with someone is a sure indicator that you value them, and feeling undervalued is a surefire friendship killer. Oh, right away, as soon as I read this, some of you are thinking of somebody you have sort of abandoned in the last two years. It could be that your spiritual act this week is to get your act together and write them a text or a Send them a phone call from 1983 and say, hi, I've missed you. And finally, and this may be the most important thing, you've got to bring your pain to people. If you're going to develop friendships with people, you've got to bring our pain. So Jesus was the only one that was going to die for the sins of the world. The disciples were not going to die for the sins of the world. They were, in fact, going to run away and be kind of terrible. But Jesus still brought them into his pain. And some of you have pain, you think, well, it's not anybody else's to carry. Listen, the pain of Jesus dying on the cross was not one of the disciples to carry. It was only Jesus' pain. And yet Jesus brought the three, his three intimate friends, into his pain. Isn't that wild? Jesus sweating drops of blood like totally stressed out. And he brought Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, listen, hear what Jesus said to his disciples. He said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. This is wild that Jesus said this. Jesus, perfect in every way, per totally able to handle this. He says, my soul is troubled even to the point of death. Stay with me. When you look at how this sentence is constructed, he's saying it as a please, please stay with me. 
Some of you have never, ever been to that point with somebody where in your pain, you've had to say to your closest and choice, listen, I, I need you right now. And some of us simply need to decide that we're going to say, yeah, I'm going to say I need people. Can't do it by myself. We must bring people into our pain. The way that we're going to grow, listen, as a church in health is not just by coming and sitting, but by seeing each other. The only way we can truly see each other is if we're vulnerable with one another. Now, I'm not saying, hear me, I'm not saying be vulnerable with everybody here. That wouldn't be safe. But I am saying, you got to find people. You, you, you got to be proactive and find people who are going to be your intimate and close people. And then you got to bring them into your pain. And that difficult because we open ourselves up to be hurt because anytime we show anybody our pain you feel a little like you don't have it all together it's hard and some of you have done that before and you've been hurt so hurt This is where we see Jesus who did this himself. This is why the Bible is so good. Because Jesus himself brought Judas. And Judas didn't just, I mean, it's like the ultimate betrayal. I'm going to assume that nobody here is going to betray you and you're going to die. Sometimes pain like that feels like we're going to die. But Jesus still in all of it. I was talking to somebody this week and they were saying, you know, about the passion. Isn't it amazing that Jesus washed Judas's feet? Insane. He knew he was going to be hurt. Don't let the hurts of your past define your future. Don't be a person that just says, I, I've been hurt, so I will just come and sit on a maroon chair forever. Our level of connectedness really will define the rate at which we grow. We cannot, we cannot grow by ourselves. So you've had hurt. Yes, yes. I'm praying now that God would give us the courage, the courage to forgive, the courage to go, hi, yeah, there's been hurt, there's been pain. This is the way of Jesus. We would learn to forgive each other and walk with each other in all the pain. In that the world, you see, um, scriptures tell us that they'll know we're Christians by our love. Now that love Like, I think we think that's like, and they will know we're Christians because we do things like the warming center and we give boots and coats and yes. But you know when your love, when love, the rubber meets the road is when someone's been terrible to you and you keep loving anyways. That's when it matters. Love doesn't matter when it's easy. We can all do that. It's like sugary cereal. It's easy to eat. Love matters when it's hard, when we've been hurt. All over the place. I'm just going to ask you to stand to your feet this morning. Yeah. I, I just believe that God wants to help us grow in the way of Jesus, to grow in our connectedness with each other. He wants us, he really, he really, really wants us to grow in the things of him. He wants us to grow in our friendships. He wants us to grow in our ability to hear him and to forgive. So I'm just going to ask that you'd raise your hands to heaven today.
Jesus, I thank you for my friends who are here today. God, I pray that you would give us now strength to follow you in every part of our lives. May we not just bifurcate our spiritual lives and our friendship lives. I, I, I pray that we would learn, God, to integrate you into everything we do. Mm. God, for those of us that have been hurt, I pray the healing balm of Jesus be on our hearts today. I pray that you would give us courage to continue in relationship with people. God, I pray that in this house, that it would not be said of us that we were just friendly to the point of friendlessness. God, I pray that you would help us to see each other, to look at each other, to have eyes to really, really walk with each other. I pray that there'd be a spirit of joy and expectation about what you're going to do in and amongst us. In Jesus' powerful name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today on Journey Church Podcast. For more information about our ministry, visit myjourney.church.